Fucking great. This is an intense amount of great. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I, I'm going out of town tomorrow. I mean, I'm going back to the Midwest, which is, uh, but I'm looking forward. I think I'm just going to sleep for five days. So that sounds amazing. Yeah. yeah. What, what, where and why? Michigan. And it's because that's where my brother and sister-in-law and niece live. And my parents are driving up to see. I haven't, I haven't laid eyes on my niece in over two years now. So because of the quarantine and she's gone from like four to six so that's a big jump that's a big big jump jump. she can like speak complete sentences now and things like that so yeah she can quote her favorite movies now which is probably um frozen which means we're all gonna be friends (laughs) (laughs) in the unknown stella is actually our next guest (laughs) in the unknown is that from Frozen 2? I don't know. I'm just, I don't like Frozen. Is I don't it like Frozen the first one. The first one's trash. The second one was okay. That was kind All of right. fun. First one's really bad. Watch the second one. No, you don't need to. Uh, okay. <laughs> hey, friends. Uh, I'm so excited to be recording this today. Mm. But I think there's like a little bit of bad news that I there's. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of stuff going on in the world. Today, the day that we're actually recording. There was a, a horrible attack on a, a train in New York, a subway in yeah. New York, uh, and not that these are comparable things, but Gilbert Gottfried died today. Wait, what? Yeah, yeah. yeah. sixty-seven. Sorry, I think it was... that got the bigger reaction. I want to be clear. No, 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 no. no That's no, what I mean. No, They're no, not no. comparable things. But no, like, you just, you just, crazy, didn't, right? you just hadn't heard yet. It's a heart condition or something. I think. He had had his family said he had had a long disease, and it mm-hmm. looked like some of the pictures that he may have been in some sort of chemo or something mm, over the last guy. year. But yeah, yeah, the stories about like just everybody. Everybody has a story about Gilbert Gottfried making them laugh. Like he was the comedian's comedian who could just floor people. And I created a character yeah. based on him for yeah. serial killers. Yeah. Which one? My questions and comments character was oh. based on when I saw uh, yes. Godfrey do a As roast. everyone knows, the questions and comments character. We won second place like five years ago in Serial Killers. We're all five people that <laughs> saw that. We'll remember. Yes. Yes. Do, you do, 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 do you do the voice? It was the, no, it was more the face and the gripping of the table that I sat at and the yelling a lot. A lot of yelling. A lot I mean, of you're yelling. Good at it. You're good I at guess it. most <laughs> most people would definitely know him for the voice. Obviously, yes. I knew him as a child as the principal from Problem Child. Mm-hmm. If I'm parrot, not mistaken, what a, the parrot from Aladdin. Iago. Well, and then he's Iago from Aladdin, and then he's mm-hmm. obviously he's the Aflac duck. Yeah. <laughs> well, and didn't he get didn't he get fired eventually? I don't know. <laughs> he I don't know. was he the Aflac duck. Stuff. 
he did Aflac for years. He also had a he had a great social media uh, situation as well. We love Gilbert, uh, so rest in peace. Yeah, RIP. And, and I just think you know it, it's a weird time right now, but also like Scott and CJ, y'all. Your cars got broken into on the same day in the middle of the day on a we random. We should on the say this. There is something. There is a scourge. It's fucking Verona that's right now. Hollywood, and yeah. the scourge is uh, Prius C's are getting attacked in Hollywood. <laughs> but we both had our windows bashed in, and like literally two days. CJ had it first, and then two days later, I went to go get in my car after a long day. And it was Tuesday night. It happened to me. And or Wednesday. there's glass in my entire thing, and it was just nuts. Oh man, did they take anything? No, no, there wasn't. There wasn't anything in there to take. I yeah, keep it pretty, joke pretty was clean. on whoever it was because I but didn't, they have didn't even. In my car. They didn't even like rifle around. There was a pair of like old, you know, those old school computer speakers that like you know the cylinders that you used to plug in and mm-hmm. and there was a pair, a pair of those in the car from a thing, and I I never took them out because I didn't care and I don't even know if they were mine but they didn't even take those so <laughs> you know my but, my my old Prius which is not a Prius C actually got broken into in that same area years ago they also did not take anything huh. <laughs> they had nothing yeah, about I, yeah. well, hate. and somebody yeah. somebody suggested it might just be somebody disturbed in the area who lives in the area and might just that might be just how they get their jollies so but it happened in broad daylight broad daylight like it was so yeah perhaps someone's disgruntled that they are not a member of sacred fools like i'm 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 feeling like there's a clear connection here maybe i mean you know well come on in audition i guess for the next (laughs) next thing um sorry guys yeah you know apparently these these thieves aren't theater lovers uh, right. So, uh, but we, but great we segue. Are, we're theater lovers, <laughs> and I think I think hey, it's a great way to introduce this uh, this podcast. So, hey, hey, friends, uh, hey. welcome, welcome to Theater Theater, yeah. the theater podcast for theater nerds, made by three theater makers from the LA theater scene. I'm Jay Bailey Burcham. I'm CJ Merriman, and I'm Scott Leggett. And each week we get together to discuss, debate, and disseminate the evolutions of the great playwrights by taking a macro look macro means big okay okay (laughs) a macro look at three of their plays and this is part one of three of our mini series covering the works of lynn nottage that's right it is crumbs from the podcast of joy Yes. And we are a podcast of joy, aren't we? Casper. I didn't sign up for this. It was either that or You podcast did though, you're apparel. in. You're in. Now you're podcast in. apparel. Okay. I was hoping there would be food. Well, not crumbs, we'll send you some food. in the mail. Yeah. Okay, thank you. No, these are the crumbs. These are the crumbs from the podcast of joy that we'll be uh, divvying out in small portions for the next three weeks. Uh, this miniseries, we're going to be covering the three plays Intimate Apparel, yeah. which we'll be talking about today. Ruined, Pulitzer Prize winner, Ruined, and Pulitzer Prize winning play Sweat. Yeah. Uh, and for all three of these episodes in the series, we are going to be joined, and we are in fact now joined, mm-hmm. by the incredible, the in- 
incomparable Ooh, yeah. performer, writer, producer, mm. artist, mm. and activist, mm. and possibly my favorite person on the planet. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to. I don't want to speak out of school, but I think you're my favorite person on the planet. I think that's accurate. Yeah. I think it's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> Casper. Everybody, it's Casper! Yes, Casper. So good to be here. So good to be back. Thank you. Name, new pronouns, gender's a construct. Get into it. All new things. Yeah, because if you were to go back and listen to, I believe it was our... Lorraine Hansberry. Of course it was. It was uh, Raisin in the Pod. Of course. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Raisin in the Pod miniseries. Was it really we... worth going back for that? Well, you're right. <laughs> uh, but Casper joined us then, and if you go back and listen, we ha- we got. I mean, we got into it. We talked about some amazing stuff, but I think we only did like the one episode, or was it two? No, we did. We did two. We, we did, did two. two. Yeah. But yeah. now the way we do things, we break it up in three. We give ourselves the time to really discuss what we want to because what always ends up happening is we finish and then we go, oh, I wish I had said these 10 other things. Which is how I feel about our Big Chill episode. There's a lot of stuff I wish I had said about things that, it doesn't matter. Yeah, okay. yeah, but it was still fun. It was still fun. I love it. Y'all are evolving. We're all evolving. I'm <laughs> how, happy to be here for it. How are you? Don't stop. I am so good. I am booked joining you. <laughs> Very booked and blessed. Um, <laughs> Not sleeping, um, feeling like capitalism's bitch right now, but uh, hashtag blessed. Uh, I'm (laughs) sitting here recording from my sublet in Brooklyn. Um, I will be here for the next two months working on a show that I'm sure we will talk about at some point. Um, Hopefully I can plug it at the end of this podcast. But yeah, yeah, it's nice. Y'all, I've never lived in New York. I've actually never lived on my own. Um, so I get to pretend that I that I get to do that. I I mean I'm still wearing my ring, but I'm like I'm turning it around. I'm just like I'm, I'm alone. I'm alone. That world doesn't exist. <laughs> I'm living the artist life. Um, yeah, it's nice. It's really nice, and I'm happy to be here with some familiar faces because uh, living alone is lonely. It turns out. Yeah. It's been one day. <laughs> uh, I have lived alone for years and i've loved it so hopefully yeah. you'll you'll relax into it and, and f-o-u-r years it. or f-o-r years well i've had my own place for eight years there have been significant others that have waded in and out but i'm who currently crashed <laughs> who've crashed into my life and then left so uh but the times alone have been spectacular okay so, right, so like, i hope you two, relax three into more days it. Yeah, yeah, give I, it a I couple days. Yeah, I like my alone time. Yeah. So anytime you change like that, it's just it's just days of adjustment. And then you just yeah. suddenly don't notice it, and then you're embracing. embracing. It's true. I haven't lived. Oh. You guys, you got some. You guys. Oh, are you friends. got some stuff. Some stuffed friends. You love them. They're real. Baby. You're right. I don't know why. <laughs> wow. How dast. I don't know why. Oh, that was what real. dast. Wow, that's really dismissive. I know. Really, really I don't know dismissive why I there, buddy. I know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What's the cow's name? So this is Meadow. 
um, was given to me as a menstrual, like, comfort relief animal. She used to come uh, with this, like, heating pad here in the front uh, of her, but I took that out years ago and just use it to stash my weed. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Not many people know this, but you can put your weed inside of her. Got it. Yeah, you can. <laughs> and then uh, this gorilla over here, this is No Name the Gorilla. Um, no name. Official no name. name. I stole No Name from, I liberated mm. No Name mm. from the set of Tarzan when I did that years ago at the El Portal Theater. Um, cool. They stole his name or his nose and <gasps> put it on a baby doll to make him. It was like a weird, fucked up kind of prop situation going on. So I could I couldn't leave him there. They were so. mutilating No Name. You had to yeah. see, you had to save him. I get These it. the homies. I get it. Hey, we love him. We love him. And and y'all are my homies. So I'm glad we're we're here to talk about this. I really had fun reading these plays. Yeah. Uh, CJ and I, I think, read them like real early because we were just like, "Let's let's get these done." And, I had and, time. Yeah, and I just I just had a lot of fun. I'm excited to get into them. Something we do on this podcast, though, to help everyone understand where we're all coming from, if we can all just give a little bit of context as to like where you were introduced to Nottage, how your relationship has grown with Nottage up until this podcast point, and. Like, what was the, have you seen any of them? Have you like, whatever, but Casper, why don't you get us started? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, you know, I, I will get us started because I feel like, I don't know, y'all are like some deep pocket type, like theater people. I Never might know. have the least amount of familiarity with Nottage. Um, hmm. I mean, I, I'm much more familiar with her um, now and in, in present day, I saw a production of Sweat at mm -hmm. the Mark Taper Forum mm. years yeah. ago, and that was my first introduction to Lynn Nottage. I knew nothing about her, um, and I fell in love with that piece, and I was like, who is, and she's a black playwright yeah. that I've never heard of, and just kind of went down the rabbit hole and um, didn't know about Ruined, and um, yeah, the more I read of her work, I feel like it was just kismet that I was always meant to find her, um, mm -hmm. although it happened kind of late for me. Sure. That's awesome, though. I uh, saw Sweat at Oregon Shakespeare Festival. The first... Uh, was that the Ridge? Original. It was commissioned Ooh. by OSF, and that was the original production. She was there. Did I meet her? No. <laughs> uh, but she was amongst us, and I could feel the power. I could feel the beauty. I could feel the everything. It was incredible. Uh I was about to say everything, everywhere, all, all at once, but then I would have to talk about that movie for six hours, so I'm not going to do that yet. I'm not going to do that yet. Scott episode. and CJ haven't seen it. That's its own episode. Actually, one of you will make it an in stuff. I guarantee it. Okay. okay. I mean, I don't know. I don't want to... I'm already doing Cyrano for you, Bailey. I, oh, Cyrano. We're going to talk Cyrano. <laughs> I can't wait. Okay. 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 I saw Sweat, but before that, I had read Ruined in school. Oh, mm. Uh, in a playwriting class. So my first uh, reaction was like, whoa, right? I, I read Ruined in one night and it just like crushed me where I was just like, whoa, okay, this is a playwright to watch. And then I saw Sweat and I was like, oh, oh, oh okay, Th this person knows exactly what they're doing when it comes to human characters mm -hmm. 100 percent, and like forgotten people forgotten human characters that was like what really that sweat like really solidified for me and 
since then, I've always desired to see more, but I don't see much of it put up. I see intimate apparel sometimes. People will put it up at like a fringe or, or, or whatever, but I've never actually had the opportunity to go see it. And I would really love to see that play, but that's my whole context with her. Like I haven't really gotten to do, I don't have like a really deep relationship with her, but I, I would like to. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Siege? Um. I read Sweat uh, a couple years ago. Sweat was being proposed at Fools, and Golden sent it to me. Scott Golden sent it to me to read, and I it took me a long time to get through the script. And I might it could have been what kind of a reader I was back then. So I was really worried about reading her plays quickly. So yeah, weeks ago I picked up Intimate Apparel and I was like, I'm just gonna get started. I don't want to fall behind on this. And then I read all three of the plays that we're doing in like 48 hours because <laughs> yeah. they were all so fucking good. Um, Sweat was an interesting read for me just because I, and it's a completely different situation, but like in 2008, like the, the, uh, professionally, I felt it because I was working for like an interior designer and her business just tanked through that whole thing. Mm. So I, and I, I'm also, I'm, I know they're completely different, but I'm also watching Newsroom right now. And I really dig productions, plays, TV shows that are like recent history. So that's also what kind of drew me to sweat as well. Sure. Uh, but that's it. I've, I've just read some of her stuff and i want to read more i definitely want to see more she's also a fucking delight on twitter so <laughs> that's fun her scott, and paula vogel <laughs> god have you ever seen any of these plays what was your relationship i had seen sweat at the mark taper um right. back in the day yeah no uh casper and i kind of on the same track i had remembered when ruins came out um, before before it won the Pulitzer, NPR had done a story about it and the subject matter and uh, how she got dialed into it. And I remembered that, you know, oh, this story of this playwright, I need to check out this playwright, and then didn't until Sweat came out. So, um, or that I, that was at at the taper, and then I read it um, soon after. And so, yeah, until I just read this stuff, I, I just knew of her as this presence and certainly knew of, you know, the Pulitzers and the MacArthur Genius Grant and like all of it, like I'd heard of it. So um, it's been a pleasure, like in, in the sense of when you pick up something and you start to read it and you find yourself sinking into your chair or wherever mm -hmm. you may be reading and you're just sinking into it and you don't really want to stop uh, ever. Uh, I think that's a really great sign. And um, yeah, I can't wait to get into, into talking about the, the plays themselves, but yeah, I wasn't a super scholar of hers and now I'm a super fan. Yeah. To your last point, Scott, I felt the same way when I was reading Intimate Apparel. Um, it it's in what's the other play that's in there as well there's two plays in in the copy that oh. we all shared um yeah so i didn't I get to read it yet so much more i was like okay like there's more i was like oh no that's that's the end that's the end of the play i wanted yeah. there to be more to the play right, right. Um, <laughs> yeah yeah in, in luckily there are more plays luckily there are more <laughs> plays and she's writing more and more all the time 
Well, so now that we understand sort of where we're all coming from, I want to know more about her context. I want to understand Nottage a little bit more. And so if you know anything, Casper, throw it in. I know very little about Nottage as a person. I know she teaches at Columbia. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? Yeah. That's it. That's all I got. So what we do she here. She walked in the 2020 Macy's Day Parade. Did she? <laughs> Did she? Yes, because she just won. It was some kind of um, arts festival in New Jersey or something. I can't okay. remember it now. Radical. Go Glenn yeah. Nottage. We love Glenn <laughs> Nottage. Uh, so I want to understand more about her. Scott, you do this thing. I do a I thing. I really love it. Yeah. Uh, if you could do it for me again, that'd be really nice. This cool. is our uh, little segment called <laughs> Scottpedia. That's right, it's Scottpedia. Scottpedia. <laughs> so what I found out about Lynn Nottage is that there isn't a lot out there about Lynn Nottage, and she's a pretty private person. Um, so like, I was gonna do to we Casper. We oftentimes, and it's best with with playwrights that are dead to play two truths and a lie and i'll make oh, up stuff no. <laughs> but i was like i'm just not gonna wade into that with lynn nottage like i'm not gonna try and make up some weird stuff but okay. here we go lynn nottage was born on november 2nd 1964 in brooklyn new york yeah that's uh, where casper is right yeah. where casper is right now <laughs> Her mother, Ruby Nottage, was a school teacher and principal. Her father, Wallace, was a child psychologist. At age eight, she had already written her first play. Her inspiration came from the women in her family. Her grandmother, mother, and other women uh, were the nurses, teachers, activists, and artists in the Brooklyn neighborhood where she grew up. While in high school, she wrote her first full-length play. And if this wasn't a clue that she was just already ahead of the curve by a million miles. The title of the play was The Darker Side of Verona, which for a high school kid, that's a brilliant title. Let's was it so related? It was indeed. It was, a, it was the story of an African-American Shakespeare company traveling through the South. And now I want to uh, see that. I, like, I want to find it. I want to find it. You like, wrote it she, at LaGuardia High School? Yeah, at age 16, okay. yeah. Um, so um, after that, she attended Brown University. No big deal. And then the Yale MDD. School of Drama, which mm -hmm. never MDD. yielded anybody <laughs> good. But uh, yeah. Jeremy who? Yeah, right. <laughs> um, she was a student of Paula Vogel's, which is, I think is interesting. And actually, I don't know if I'm going to read it now or towards the end, but there's a beautiful quote. You guys might have read it because it's in, it's in the same version we all read. Uh, but a quote from Paula Vogel about Lynn Nottage's work that I just was like, yes, this is it. It hits everything. After spending. Well, I mean, to be clear, Scott, we're all students of Paula Vogel, but that's fine. <laughs> Practically. <laughs> but I mean, Practically. she was in an actual room. With Kid, her, I get, I get. You're not lying. You're not lying. Um, so after college, uh, she spent four years at Amnesty International as national press officer. Um, so this probably led to her getting to um, experience a lot of the subject matter or being um, exposed to a lot of the subject matter that she would write about later. Uh, Nottage became a full-time playwright in the 1990s. She is the only woman to have won two Pulitzer Prizes for drama. She is a recipient of the MacArthur Genius Grant. Nottage is married to filmmaker Tony Gerber, with whom she has two children, Ruby Ayo 
and I'm going to try and get this right, Mel, uh, Melkamu. Melkamu or Melkamu Gerber. Um, so two children. But that's really, uh, that's all I got for, for them. Whoa. Like, yeah, it wasn't, there wasn't a lot. And, you know, everything I read was kind of repeated itself. So she was brilliant. She's smarter than I will ever be. And was, for sure. <laughs> was brilliant when she was, you know, 16. And, uh, and she's, a, you know, an accomplished, accomplished human being. And did you say, is she a playwright anywhere? Like, does she have a residency anywhere? No, I think she just teaches at Columbia. She's received um, honorary doctorates from Juilliard and uh, another place I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, but I don't think she needs to be a playwright in residence anywhere. Like, <laughs> right. um, I just America, the world, you know. Right. You know I, she but might. She gets commissioned a lot. She gets commissioned that's a, a lot, thing, right? she, a well, lot. Almost every, every one of her like major plays was commissioned by someone. So that's yeah. kind of interesting. But um, I just could have sworn she was an artist in residence somewhere and maybe not. But uh, like that was just what I had in my head. Yeah. I mean, she's written for. I'm going to find out. You're going to find look out. Look at that. Um... <laughs> the only like additional things that I found, I was like going through some like research papers that some people like have yeah. written around her work. And um, someone was writing that, you know, when she was younger growing up, she grew up in this like racially mixed section of Brooklyn. And so mm. she spent time playing street games with children from like Latino uh, that were, were Latino immigrants, were Irish immigrants, that she also had like a lot of friends that were of Native American descent and African American descent. And because of this, like that always kind of informed how she's able to write in a way that is not, I mean, she's centering, obviously, you know, African-American women's stories, but she's always kind of had this cross-colonization of like, you know, all the different like cultural influences that are very much, were very much present in her life in Brooklyn. And uh, there was also like another line here saying that, you know, that most of her life, she, she enjoyed this secure middle-class lifestyle but because of like all these places that she grew up in people in different communities that always made her have an eye on wanting to tell stories of the voiceless, the nameless and the less fortunate. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's pretty cool that, you know, recognizing you don't necessarily have to have lived something to give a fuck about something. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What a concept. Well, yeah. and I thought too the three play, just the three plays that we picked, they, they're all about they're all completely different stories from different times and different places and it that's what makes me excited about reading some of her other work too because it's it's just exciting to me oh yeah absolutely yeah. i just found this by the way she is the artist in residence not playwright in residence artist in residence at the park avenue armory conservancy oh so it's this nonprofit cultural institution uh it's inside the historic seventh regiment armory building that giant park avenue building and on the upper east side uh but it's like a unconventional artwork space and they do performing and visual arts there and she's the artist in residence currently that's maybe what i had heard and then now knew anyway okay that's so exciting. let's it's kind of cool so let's talk about this play this Ooh. is we didn't really do like each of us choose a play this time. These are just the three that sort of stuck out and we were like, let's, let's read these. But 
This one's Intimate Apparel. This is uh, written by Lynn Nottage, in case you weren't... <laughs> Wait a, minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Hold on a second. Casey didn't know wait what the podcast second. was. Should I reintroduce the podcast? Uh, <laughs> to yourself. Yeah. I, haven't even been, I haven't even been drinking today. Right. Uh, okay, well, so anyway, this I'm assuming she's writing this like 2001-2002, premieres in 2003, makes its way to Off-Broadway at Roundabout by 2004, uh, I, I want to get a little deeper into like what this really is and everything. Well, well, real quick, let me let me say it was a co-production slash co-commission. So it is it is being commissioned by two different places: the Center Stage Baltimore, which is in Maryland, mm-hmm. and then South Coast Rep, yeah, which is oh, in Costa yeah. Mesa, right yes. down the street. It's right down the street. I was just supposed to do a contract with them last week, but then I. I filmed a short film that maybe I can talk about at some point. Oh, instead. man. Yeah. Like, yeah. Exactly. I thought that was really fucking cool. A Hell short yeah. film, by the way, that I have been seeing uh, behind the scenes pictures of. And uh, <laughs> holy shit. Yeah. 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 We'll talk about it later. Anyway, <laughs> uh, South Coast Rep is a theater out here. I've never worked for them, but I have plenty of friends who have yeah I, I know many people who have i actually know some of the development team over there weirdly so south coast rep uh maybe we love i don't know i don't actually have an opinion on south coast rep do we love south coast rep they're local I yeah, anything bad. Yeah. we like them yeah uh until proven but, uh, otherwise <laughs> exactly uh but so that people can understand the plot a little bit better since we take a little bit more of a macro look uh cj yes can you uh do me a favor yeah Break it down. CJ's Breakdown. Esther, a black seamstress, lives in a boarding house in New York City in 1905. She sews intimate apparel for clients who range from wealthy white patrons to black sex workers. By way of a mutual acquaintance, she begins to receive beautiful letters from George Armstrong, who is working on the Panama Canal. Meanwhile, Esther's heart seems to lie with the Hasidic shopkeeper from who she buys fabric and his heart with her, but the impossibility of the match is obvious to them both, and Esther consents to marry George. Once married, she finds out that George is not who he seems, eventually ending in his taking her life savings, sewn into a quilt, leaving her bruised, but not broken. That's right. Technically, this is a sequel to Phantom Thread. Uh, (laughs) Or Phantom Thread is a sequel to this, is what I meant. Um, Uh, no, not at all. That's uh, not true. Did, that's a lie. Did that's you see that movie that's so Daniel much. Did, did anyone see yeah, that Yeah, that movie? was a lie. Yeah. Did anyone that's see a that lie. Movie? Yeah, it's my, it's my, definitely my least favorite Paul Thomas Anderson. The worst PTA film. Also, just bad. Like, top to bottom bad, boring bad, very bad, don't do it. It was an indulgence for Mr. Daniel Day-Lewis, I think. But the only reason I even compared is because he stitches people's hair and stuff like, into dresses i don't know he's i forget it yeah, i don't know kind of gross yeah bad comparison uh, i just shouldn't did, have even said anything i just want to jump in with the thing that blew my mind when i read it this play is based on nottage's great-grandmother isn't that cool yes. yeah i yeah. loved reading that that's yeah. fucking radical yeah. i love this play and, so much. and not only on her great-grandmother but like her not having any information about her great-grandmother was was what I read that, you know, she started writing this um, after her mother passed away and Mm. wanted to write something that her mother, you know, would have loved. And 
quick quote here somewhere where she says she like wanted to, she wanted to write a play to her mom that was simple, honest, and emotional. And she was going through these like trunks and pulling out, you know, like weathered photos and like news clippings or whatever and finds this photo. And it's like, I, you know, her mom was gone. Her grandmother wasn't in any sort of like mental state to like really be able to help her kind of piece together the stories mm -hmm. of, of this woman's background and all she knew was that she was a seamstress. So a big well, part of like... her process is, oh. No, go ahead, go ahead. Daniel Day-Lewis? <laughs> <laughs> a big part of her process. It's almost like Phantom Day-Lewis. I don't think that's. No, I was just agreeing with you. I was just gonna say, it's almost like this, like it's a puzzle of, of it's a tapestry of like, it's a quilt. It's its own quilt of, of just, ideas of what it could have been it's a mystery that she's solving on her own by writing this play i right. love that and right. i love and the she... um i love the the use of the the photo captions as things go on yeah. uh, uh, what is it an uh, unidentified black and seamstress Negro. yeah and, right. uh, and, right. and at the end of the show and you're like oh it like kicks you because what she does so well from from my vantage point is by the end of the first page you are with Esther, like you've fallen for her. You want to hug her. You want to Pretty be quickly. with her. And she does that with all the characters, even the despicable characters that, well, I don't even know if she, there are fully despicable characters. George does so. a despicable thing. No. Um, right. And right, so they're all just Vogel full... does, right, Scott? Yeah, it, it's we, that Vogel and thing. we were talking about that with uh, how I learned to drive. Yeah, this sort of the miraculous idea—not miraculous, but the, the idea of taking a an abuser, a you know, a a pedophile and and an incest abuser, and you like him just a little bit. And so does the victim just a little bit. And all that it does is it makes it utterly compelling. So you like George just a little bit. You like all of okay. these characters. I liked him a lot until you yeah, kind of find out. Until you right. find out. Right. Right. I think like, that's on right. purpose. That's yeah, absolutely yeah. on purpose, especially all the act know. one stuff, all the stuff leading up to the marriage. Like I was so worried at the end of that first act because <laughs> they've had the letters and he's had all those monologues and you're right um there is something about that that i that makes you like him but at the end of that first act i'm like this has gotta go south right but even in the opposite way scott what i really love is that she also isn't afraid to make the characters we really love unsympathetic sometimes yeah yeah even esther sometimes right like there's just moment where she's not afraid to be like okay but also everyone's human Right. 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 I love it. Right. Yeah. The way in which she writes all of these characters with like such affection. I want to say like yeah, as the creator of, of these stories, mm -hmm. you can really see her commitment to wanting to tell the stories of these unnamed people that history has forgotten or whose stories, you know, were, were, were never told. Um, and Agreed. that it's not a condemnation or right. just like kind of kind of stating the facts or taking like a little bit of the facts she has and running with them mm -hmm. um, and leaving, it almost leaves us in a position of, I dare you to judge them. Right. Mm. I dare and you to. I, and I wonder if, like, and I don't want to give full credit to to Vogel because I, I don't think this that's the case. I think Nottage deserves full credit here. But, oh, yeah. <laughs> but I think the school of Vogel is a little bit like, what if you were in love with every character you were writing? 
Well, yeah, I mean, and I don't mean romantically, but like, what if you gave a fuck? Like, what if you really liked and had a soft spot for and understood every character that you were writing? Whereas, I think a lot of people tend to write, especially villain characters, abuser characters, like they're like, "Well, they're the bad guy, so I'm gonna make sure you know it right away, and we never <laughs> question it." And I think sh- the the school of Vogel is very guided towards like. We're we all we are large. We have multitudes. Well, and and human ambiguity. Yes. You know, the, the, there is no perfect human being, and uh, to find those layers, um, I also wanted to just dovetail off of what you were saying, Casper. There's also I feel like there's an ease in the in the way that she writes these characters. There's like a, a there's this gentle thing. Th- th- this whole play was so sensual even the title it's, it's, it's romantic and sexy as fuck right. and it's just like all the scenes with with mr marks and is just are just uh. like uh, like you can and it's on the page and so you know when a when a great playwright get, already takes half the journey for you as an actor or as a director like you already already have you're already entering with two or three layers that she's giving to you with beautiful and and an economy of words an economy of stage direction and character description that makes you just go ah and you can ease into it right that noise though i bailey i almost texted you and was like this is romantic as fuck. Like I was sealing my heart swell. Like not only in the moments with Mr. Mark, but like reading George's letters. I was like, wow. And I am not one for a rom-com. I'm not, you know, I'm not like like... romantic. There was just something so fucking, I mean, just, just romantic. It was, there's something Jane Austen about it. There's something (laughs) withering heights about it. There's something, you know, like it is, it's got that like Gothic romance feel where the letters from, from far off and, and, and that romance rocks. I love that. It's also the painful romance of the forbiddenness of, you know, I mean, they're writing letters and falling in love or she's she's developing this relationship with this man who he's not even allowed to touch her so like you got to work on the feelings and the attraction in a completely different way than most of us do now right (laughs) and their connection is that their art it's her sewing it's him with the fabrics like there it's that that connection oh let me i gotta show you this thing and at first you're like oh he's just trying to sell her stuff but then it quickly that quickly disappears into she'll appreciate what i appreciate in this fabric and then she's seeing it and go i can do this i can create this and and make this and that's why that final gesture uh at the end is just like uh, like it's it's so satisfying and sad and romantic and sweet and layered mm. like it every every moment so wonderfully layered never mind the the time period which just evokes so much in terms of social restrictions and social mores and and you're there so quickly she transports you there so quickly it was it blew me away it really did and then on the flip side of of the romance and the sexiness 
I feel like Nottage also gets in there the sexualization of blackness and black mm -hmm. women too with immediately the, yeah. Oh, yeah yeah with the relationship particularly with uh what is it Mrs Van Buren is that the rich lady mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. and then Wanting. even with George you know right. eventually right. Or, and 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 obviously with Mamie as well with Mamie, mm -hmm. yeah. you know with her just having accepted you know kind of uh not just this line of work which like whatever it's her knowing that like i'm accepting the hyper sexualization of of my blackness uh, even though i'm a concert pianist like this is this is it this is it for as the foreseeable future right. um wow. i i i don't know if y'all did any this come up for anyone else while you were reading so i saw that the relationship between Esther and Mr. Marx was actually inspired by Lynn's marriage to her husband, who is also Jewish. Mm. Oh, um, yeah. So I have yeah. a quote here from her where she says, my husband is Jewish and his family name was Marcus. They were Romanian and the name became Marx when they came to the United States. Oh. And her family name is Armstrong. So both of those names appear hey. um, uh, cool. <laughs> on the cool. passenger list at Ellis Island. And she said, wow. so that's why she named them that. And when she sat down to write the play, I imagined if my husband and I had met a hundred years ago, <laughs> what our relationship would have been then. It wow. would have been an impossible relationship. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And that's kind of what this ends up being about. It's not about the Armstrong relationship. It is about this relationship in a lot of ways, right? Is it's yeah. because it's right there and you can't have it's right in front of you and you can't have it because of because of societal ropes that are holding you back that you did not create. Right. That you did not put upon yourself. So I and and we, and that's and that's another thing. Another way where she layers it. There's the yeah. beauty salon, the dream of simply putting together a beauty salon for black women. That's what, like that simple dream. Then the dream of just having a man, just not being alone, having a husband, then the dream and the desire for Mr. Marx, you know, it, it, it that's one of the biggest themes that hit me is right. what is, is the restrictions on your desires, society's restrictions on desires and because on it's not women just and about... black women. Right. It's not just about a place to get your your clothes fixed and your hair done. It's about a place, a safe space of right. community. Right. And I'm sorry, Casper, please. No, no. I mean, a safe space of community and also just a place to who, what do they say? No one's going to do it for us. Right. 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 <laughs> I, yeah. Like the amount of times that I've uttered the words, fuck it, I'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> Over like the past 33 years, oh. you just realize like, no one else is going to take care of us because it's it's very clear it's not happening and you look at the way that the show does a very good job of setting up the ways in which you know she was really um facing lots of different you know barriers the difference between being a black woman and a black man in society but also the ways in which she couldn't access like i mean that all women were dealing with this thing but the ways in which a white woman at least could have someone doting on them right. and treating yep. them with tenderness. And it's like, there is no place for that. And one of the opening lines, Miss Dickinson says to her, like, I don't have to tell you how hard it is for you as a black woman, like how, and you are 35 years old right. and you're a black woman. It's not happening. And I think in that's 1905 also in 1905, 1905 at the turn of the century. And that is something that 
Lynn also said it was important to her. I pulled a bunch of quotes. It's just going to keep do it. No, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Coming up this. here, she said, in the case of intimate apparel, I want it to bridge the gap between women at the turn of the 19th century and at the turn of the 20th century. They were very focused, very hardworking women. And because of the choices that they made, they were being punished, which I think is what was happening to a lot of African-American women today who have taken mm -hmm. a career path. You know, being told like you're the reason that like the black families kind of destroyed because you want to go right. off and like get jobs and right. yeah, it's like I like it's not oh you yeah, know just and even the Yale fair playing ground maybe fair playing ground yeah yeah and like 2009 where they said you know that statistically black women who were 45 or uh, at 45 years of age who were successful were twice as likely to have never been married, that's what it was, by the age of 45, as white women with similar education levels. It's yeah. like, I, mm. yeah, I don't know. Well, Maybe you know, and we can, well, yeah, and you can, I mean, let's just talk for a second digression uh, about our <laughs> recent, uh, you know, the Supreme Court process and what she went through. And um, that it was, it wasn't even like they ain't even playing anymore. It's not even yeah. trying to hide it. You know, right. I'm sure she's a real nice person. <laughs> I was like, I can't remember what dipshit Republican senator said that, but I was like, you know, it was but I'm not going to vote for like, her because of this bullshit that I've made up in my head. Um, she's and, the most qualified, but yeah, ever of uh, anyone. Yeah. <laughs> or, or was it the misogyny? Was Coming it the little after Miss Super Catholic Lady and beer guzzling creep? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. but yeah, just, the fact that she could layer in all of that and also all of like the hope and the the tenderness and oh, yeah. I just also think that she was able to just capture really beautifully, which. I don't know, maybe it's the spirit of me having been in New York City for a day. <laughs> <laughs> it's already gotten, it, it's gotten into expert. your pores. It's gotten into your pores. I mean, the city is just, it's filled with so many different cultures. And I think Lynn was saying in something else that I, that I read that, you know, every 10 years, the city kind of goes through a cycle where you've got like a new influx of, of immigrants coming from other countries or just coming from other places in in the country and so you've got what used to be like an array of mexican restaurants are now indian restaurants and then later will become a different type of and, and just like that energy of everyone is here and seeking something and we've got to allow space for like the tenderness too that that exists here um the dreams that that everyone has that i think that she so eloquently is able to Put on display um not just esther's wants and dreams she does that for every character in a yeah. way that is really relatable you Absolutely. you you hit the word that 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 i just i kept repeating all afternoon i finished up my research and notes and everything at lunchtime and i was like hope 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 there it, there's a tremendous amount of scott hope. loves hope I do love hope, oh, but I love hope. it because, oh, like, Scotty I, loves hope. I do, but like, you know, at the end with the reset, like she, she's resetting at the end, but you, you have so much hope. There's a, there is a positive vibe about it that that journey, these experiences that we just watched 
will make her stronger, will make her better. And, you know, you hope that she can go for it. She seems to be ready to try and go for it. And that's what really turned me on about it. Um, there's another element uh, that I found um, on Saturday night. I had the pleasure of uh, producing a reading at Sacred Fools uh, by Natalie Nicole Dressel, who's been on here before. Yes, Natalie. Yeah. yeah. And who the was CJ, on our Vogel? Uh, she was on our series. Paula Vogel yeah. episode. And CJ was in it and did a marvelous job reading. Thanks. But in uh, in the talk back afterwards. I got there at intermission. Yes, you did. You were there. And you, <laughs> you gave me some Diet Coke when I, when I needed it. Most. I did. She's wearing my Gloria Steinem glasses for that role. You were, right. yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But Natalie in the talk back, which was it was just lovely, just talking about her experience and the process of doing the play. That one of the things that she she's she noticed in 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 contemporary plays that she was trying to avoid, and that is she's like sometimes plays feel like lectures, and I'm like yeah, I was like you know I've seen plenty of those, and this at no point did intimate apparel ever feel didactic or um, that it was, that it had some sort of, I don't want to say the word agenda, but like it, it there was nothing academic about it. And the, 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 that it was, well, it always went back to the humanity. Very like based in history and very based in like truth and like, but you're right. Like that's what makes it amazing is that it could be. Easily, it could have easily it been. could have. You could have into... you could have taken you know stacks and stacks of research of yeah. 1905 New York and just like made a mess of it, and right. didn't. <laughs> well, because she Absolutely. it's like what else did you need to do but like present it, the truth, yeah. right? That's right. Like, right? She said something in an interview that I was reading when she was writing this play that she'd just seen so many plays at the time that were all like that just felt like so like macho i don't know or like sure. beating you over the head with shit and that yeah. again she just wanted to write something so simple and i think about like you know that this is a play with a central female character mm -hmm. <laughs> where you know she's not required to write um that we're just like seeing her existing through the things that are going on in her like that that she's experiencing and going through them and that you know, sometimes that could be criticized that like, you know, she isn't, you know, that she's passive, but like uh, through her being able to accept like this, this loss and just like passage of like things that she's, that she's going through, I feel like she did a really good service to um, what it, what it means to be writing, I guess, kind of from that perspective. And that doesn't need to be a shot like this. And there is such beauty and simplicity in you know, just walking your path and accepting it. Like the, even the motif of the fucking sewing machine, y'all. Like she uh. said that she knew that like this was at the start of the play, it was something depressive. And at the end it was her liberation mm. and that she knew she had to figure mm. out how to get the character from there to there. Yeah, like, And so like, whereas there's no yeah. theme that you need to have in that like Ruth makes that just, Ruth, wow. She she makes that journey of self-discovery on on her own. And I think that she's gonna be okay after that. I do I too. think that Esther's mm -hmm. okay I at do the end too. of it. And yeah, no. 
And if not, I want to find I want to find you know, find who's ever messed with her, kick their ass. Yeah, like it's ass. like I want like you just again. What a endearing character. I don't know how best to describe it, but I also um, kept envisioning because didn't Viola Davis play yes. Esther yeah. originally? And then also I kept I the Mister Mark scene. I kept envisioning Mister Cry Eyes from um, it was Corey Cards. Stoll. Corey Stoll. Yeah, Corey he always Stoll. looks like he's crying. He Which does. is perfect for this character. <laughs> he has watery eyes. He just, even in the Marvel movies, he always looks like he's about to cry. <laughs> well, we've jumped ahead a little bit because I was about to jump into all of the oh, productions sorry. that have happened, and that was That's not your the thing. first yeah. one. So you oh, okay. a little ahead. That's okay. Pardon so me. The, the first yeah. one that ever happened actually was at the Center Stage Baltimore. And then they took it, because th that was who actually commissioned it. So Center Stage Baltimore, and then they took it to South, Re South Coast Rep. Mm -hmm. So that was directed by Kate Horisky, and the cast featured Shane Williams as Esther. This is not somebody I know personally or know anything about, but I believe they were cast in New York State and then came out and also did it at the South Coast Rep. Oh. Um, but that was basically all of 2003. They were just running this at both places. So that's kind of cool. They like did one ca they did the same cast at both theaters. Uh, but then finally 2004, March 2004, the play opens off Broadway at the Roundabout Theater. Uh, I know the casting director at Roundabout. They offered me a job one time to be their reader, and I said, that doesn't pay enough to move to New York. <laughs> you want to offer them my resume and website? <laughs> <laughs> so I'll send it to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Stephen Copel. Shout out to Stephen Copel uh, from Wichita. Uh, anyway, Roundabout Theater puts it up with uh, uh, directed by Daniel J. Sullivan, uh, and it features, like you said, Siege Viola Davis, the one and only... Uh, who I'm sure was Grandmaster who's delightful on Instagram. I love yes, Viola on Instagram. Yeah. So much joy. Um, <laughs> she gets the Drama Desk Award for Most Outstanding Actress, but she ties with someone. Can anyone tell me who she tied with? It is a play that we have talked about on this episode. On this yeah. episode? We have mentioned this play on this episode at oh, least once, if not three or four times. The goat. The goat. No. Three or four times? We talked about that before. Sweat. 2004. 2004. No, it would sweat. No. What? This, that wouldn't be the same year as <laughs> I missed. Apparel. I missed something that you just said. I'm sorry. It's okay. Is it a Paula Vogel play? Oh. It's not. Oh. <laughs> you want I don't to know, Bailey. Right? I don't yeah. know. It's okay. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> Drama Desk Award for Outstanding Actress in a Play 2004 goes to both Viola Davis for Intimate Apparel and Felicia Rashad for A Raisin in the Sun. I oh, Raisin. Yeah. Oh, okay. I miss Raisin. I, I whispered it. Scott I was, was Scott was uh, uh, screaming over you. I'm just kidding. <laughs> he was screaming his confusion over you. No, this is the same year as Wicked. This is a big year in theater, y'all. This is the yeah. same year as Wicked. This is the same year as that big Henry IV. Do you remember that there was like this huge, it won like outstanding director of a play and like all this stuff. And this was the same year that I met Dakin Matthews, who wins a featured actor drama desk this same year. I met him that year because his son was dating my brother. And so I met him and 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 then found out later that he had a Drama Desk Award. Uh, Bailey, fuck it. Send him my resume and website. I'll send that to him. <laughs> Matthews. Do it, do if, if you look up Dakin Matthews, you'll know who he is. He was on Gilmore Girls, and he he's oh, uh, my dad Drew would Grit know who that is. And Lincoln, 
and a bunch of really great movies. Uh, and so this is also the same year that like Audra McDonald is in Raisin in the Sun. This is the same year as, hey, I did a podcast episode once for a different podcast on this show. It's called Taboo. I was it just going to say, yes. A phenomenal show that everyone needs to go look up. Rosie O'Donnell produced it, and there was like yeah. a lot of drama surrounding it. But Raul Esparza gets like a Tony that year, and he gets the drama desk yeah. for feature. We talk about old Raul a lot on here. We sure do. <laughs> so is this also the same year as Carolyn? No, was... Carolina changes. Carolina changes. Two thousand three, I believe. Oh, okay, because that was because... like there was a historic year where like all those shows where there was no yeah, shit. Uh... Yes, this is that year. Yeah, yes, you're right. You're right. Yeah, it's Carolina. Sorry wins for outstanding music. Yes, drama desks are like crazy this year because it's like it's basically the four. It's also assassins um with neil patrick harris it's that year. it's like it's like they're just they're assassins with the rewritten song or the extra new song right right. they rewrote the part of the balladeer who now becomes lee harvey oswald instead of being two separate parts yeah which by the way they did that revival version when they did it east west and they nailed it well done east west players uh yeah this uh, uh hugh jackman also wins for boy from oz that year this is the first hugh jackman major award that we're uh this is <laughs> this is pre this is pre wolverine i believe or is it right after wolverine? this was pre uh, greatest showman it's after yeah anyway so i went off on a whole drama desk thing but cory stole obviously uh uh yellow jacket from amp yeah. mm-hmm. uh that's cry all eyes from house of cards that guy uh yeah guy who kind of looks like he should be doing comedy but isn't and it's just it's like yeah, he's right? handsome too yeah he could get it <laughs> i don't know sure uh, i like sad eyes <laughs> i like sad it, it was just casper's shrug like yeah i wouldn't kick him out of bed for eating crackers <laughs> Something else kind of exciting. This also receives the 2004 Odelco Award. Does anybody know what that is? Mm-mm. It's no. the Audience Development Committee Award that recognizes oh, yeah. and honors excellence in black theater. Yeah, I've heard of them. Yeah, I actually didn't know about the Odelco. Odelco. I, yeah. <laughs> Until just now, and now I know. So, I can't help you. <laughs> yeah, Odelco. I don't know. It, it doesn't matter. Um, but then it also wins the 2004 steinberg new play award which is presented by the american theater critics association uh and they quote it as an outstanding new play produced around the u.s outside of new york which technically this was uh it wins viola davis wins Corey stoll is nominated it gets a bunch of outer critic circle wins it gets a bunch of lucille lortel awards the next year it wins uh two obi awards for set design mm-hmm. and viola davis wins no oh and uh, tony's because it was off broadway if i can mm. time out real quick yeah yeah because i because i was time like i'm out <laughs> because my director brain started churning as this show was going on and the way she described each of those spaces, each of those rooms was really interesting. And so, and so I went and looked at some of those production uh, photos of the set and hats off. Like, yeah, some, it was cool. It was really oh, yeah. well done. Really amazing. Oh, yeah. Not just I mean, cubes, huh? The fact that like every, every scene is centered around a bed, whether yeah. or not they use it, like that being mm. a really important thing for her. I was like, that's just... Fuck yeah, intimate. Yeah. Intimate, yeah. Talk about right. intimate, like, yeah. Just walking in into anybody's 
boudoir is <laughs> is an intimate thing it you is. know yeah. you know for sure i don't sit on people's beds whenever i go like oh, in the no. room. Right. i mean it's just <laughs> As I'm, I'm literally filming this, recording this in a stranger's bed right now. But, um, yeah, because it's like that's someone that's like your sacred space. I don't know. Yeah, like no, that's, and, yeah. Which is interesting because it it is so intimate, and there's so much about it thematically that's intimate. And you're actually the one that told me this, Casper. I went researching. I didn't know anything about this. There is an opera mm-hmm. that has just been adapted lynn nottage wrote the libretto for it of intimate apparel okay uh the music is by ricky ian gordon now ricky ian gordon is not someone that like a bunch of people would necessarily know but he's interesting because he almost like everything he's written is like insanely woke like progressive Mm. like great theater uh but he um his his lover passed of aids uh and it inspired him to write like a bunch of these operas and uh his more well-known ones are like dream true orpheus and eurydice is one that's Mm -hmm. done like a lot uh and then he has this song cycle that people love and i've heard of this i've actually i've heard of this many times it's called green sneakers for baritone string yeah. quartet empty chair and piano oh. yes that oh. one was 2007 and like opera students love to use songs from that like it's like a right. big easy like english speech you know like a uh, uh, opera book which is awesome and then he's written for audra mcdonald renee fleming todd palmer like all these people he's no he's big nuts. deal but his two like main credits, I forgot to bring this up. I know we'll get back to Nottage in a second. But he did a Langston Hughes opera. He took a bunch of poems of Langston Hughes's and made an opera out of it. I wanna find that. Cool. So do I. Okay. Yeah. Sounds interesting. Let's, and then he yeah, also did that. an opera version of The Grapes of Wrath that has only ever been put up like one time in Minnesota. And I feel like that needs to be spread amongst the people. Uh and then he did, um, he wrote My Life with, with Albertine, which is a, a musical based on a, a Proust, uh, a Marcel Proust. <laughs> Thank you. I needed um, to hear it again. Marcel Proust. Uh, well, I've said it wrong on the podcast before where I said Proust, and now I have to like make sure I quadruple down. Uh, but it was called My Life with Albertine, but it was based on a Proust book, but it was Kelly O'Hara's first starring role. Oh, so okay. that's kind of cool. Anyway, yeah. he doesn't super matter, but he matters enough that I wanted to kind of run down all of it. He only really composed done the opera. The <laughs> opera. So this opera is about to happen. Like, I'm so pumped about this. Well, so it happened. It actually. did. Oh, okay. It okay. happened. So it was, it had originally, I think it had like just opened right before everything shut down because they did it at Lincoln Center Theater. And then after lockdown they just it was just at the top of this year they did it again i think it ran like january or february it just closed at the end of march Mm. but the good news is that it it was sold out and it was also in collaboration with the met the or with the met um opera um they recorded it to be released at some point for cbs uh great performances so at some point we will get to see this but yeah, I'm just I'm extremely fascinated by what wait. she did, obviously being the original playwright, but also 
you know, I've now dipped and dabbled in the aqua world a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> with um, <laughs> varying levels of um, <clears throat> aqua world, uh, classical music world, y'all. Yeah. 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 It's weird. It's oh, weird. Yeah. There's a lot going on over there. Frank, because you're a string player too, so you've been um, you've been in that world too. I have. I yeah. have. I don't know that I'll explore it for much longer, but it's been interesting sure. and something that I found watching you know lots of operas new and old i'm always wondering i'm like it's so does this not really matter it feels mm. like often it's secondary or just something so hacky I, yeah over the top and she said that that was actually something that was really important uh with her um that yeah. she wanted this she said this is more traditional opera that's meant to be accessible accessible and emotional it seems right. to me that the place where a lot of opera not just contemporary breaks down is in the narrative the music can be extraordinarily beautiful right then you have these threadbare narratives that sometimes are ridiculous and that she was aiming to change that cool. so... it's because as an art form it is mostly a composer's art form right sure so i think i think and i think that's not necessarily a, a good thing for audiences i think we i mean some people are going just to hear the music right but i, I do think as storytellers especially for us i I, I want a little bit of plot. I want to know what's going on. I want to. Yeah, yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. That's why Deflator I, Mouse is actually fun because there's like a legitimate plot going on and things happening right. in comedy. And as performers, I want something emotionally to dig into, right. you know, mm -hmm. to connect right. to. And I think some of the changes that I wrote or that I read that she did with the, the opera, you know, in the play, they're all two hander scenes. Right. Mm, yeah. And everything takes place around a bed. And. So you know how Mamie like talks about singing or performing in the saloon? Mm, you get to see that in the right. opera. Yeah, oh, oh cool. That. You get to bring us into the saloon. Sometimes you're out in the streets, even the party that's going on downstairs at the top of the play. Mm -hmm. yeah. I guess the opera starts with that. And so you've now cool. kind of got a bit of an ensemble cast that can help you um, really dig into the, the life, like the electricity that was going on right. in the city at the time and why people we're coming and it sounds like the score is pretty 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 good yeah no i i i've heard nothing but good things i can't wait to listen to it watch it once that you know the the footage comes out i can't wait to see it but in general i mean it's just a testament to this play like this play has lived and breathed since 2004 in fact it is on the top 10 most produced plays in america list so it which is crazy to me uh uh because it's up there with like raisin right which is like the most produced play ever right so you're just kind of like whoa okay like this means something this is important and i'm right. not just quoting close encounters of the third kind uh also uhf <laughs> quotes that so maybe i'm yes. just quoting uhf yeah. <laughs> uh, we've talked about uhf okay yeah. so uh at the we're at the we're at the end of this episode we've talked a lot we've done <laughs> we've done a lot of we shit did it. yeah we, we did, did it Good the job, best. everybody. There's, there's <laughs> something that we like to do at the end of the episode, though, because I, I like to, to shine a light, a spotlight, if you will, on local L.A. theater, but also Casper, our guest, and, and anything else that we're working on. So uh, uh, drop that, that, that shit right here. L.A. Spotlight. I still got you. <gasps> um... I've got I've got like a couple of projects to promote, but I think that this week I'd like to talk about why I'm in New York. So I'm working on a show with a theater company called Mabu Minds, 
They are um, a historic experimental theater company here that's founded by Philip Glass. Um, oh, and cool. Yeah, Groovy. and a couple of his friends um, decades ago. Pretty cool. And uh, I'm working on a project called the Vicksburg Project, where these writers um, went down and spent time in Vicksburg, Mississippi, which was like, I guess, a historic kind of battleground state uh, with the Civil War, but also Freedom Summer um, and uh-huh. helping with like the Voter Rights Act. And so they spent a long, long time talking with locals and documenting their stories. And they've written a show that follows uh, the stories of women and trans people in Vicksburg, Mississippi through the 1800s, so still in slavery, and then in the Jim Crow South, and then in the 1960s, and then in present day. Um, That sounds amazing. (laughs) Yeah, it's like new music. The the composer is Eve Beglarian. It's not musical theater. It's storytelling and music and composition. And I start rehearsals tomorrow. And this opens May 11th and runs May, uh, previews are May 11th through 29th. Um, at Mabu Mines, and then in January of 2023 will be the official opening at the Harlem Stage Theater. No can't deal. Wait, That's amazing. Rock. Uh, y'all have any other? <laughs> y'all have any other spotlights? Do you have anything? Uh, I just wanted to, if I could give a shout out, because I had a, an insane theater experience uh, this past weekend. I've, I we mentioned the reading, and then on Friday night I got to see uh, Buyer and Seller at Celebration Theater, which is just marvelous and charming and great. Um, but then I got to oh, see yeah, the closing performance uh, at the Amundsen of the Lehman Trilogy. And I, if you would have told me that a four-hour play about the rise and fall of a financial institution would be an inspiration to me, I would have laughed at you. These three actors were grandmasters like playing darts on a train. It was directed by Sam Mendes and just a huge shout out to CTG and um, and the company and the performers. It was an amazing, uh, truly amazing experience. And I was just grateful that I got to have a great weekend of theater. Thank you. Thank I'm you for your time. The, yeah, I'm sad I missed Lehman Trilogy. I didn't, I didn't get to see that one. Everybody was talking about it. Like it was just like the greatest thing they'd ever seen. I was like, it was, okay. It's stunning. It's just like, what? Wow. wow. Yeah. Because it started, you know what it was? If I could just real quick, it started off because it was it was three people telling a story, and they started off with that sim- simple thing. These three people will tell you a story, and then it's how they built it and how they played all these characters and uh, amazing set and designs and direction. Wow. Yeah. Okay, I can dig it. Um, I I have a show that I did choreography for. It's called Winter Dance Party. It's about Buddy Holly's last performance and uh, the plane crash that night. I did all the choreography for, choreography for it. It's on Tuesday the 19th and Wednesday the 20th at Loft. Oh, Though it is sold out at this point. But I've heard if you get on the wait list, they've never turned right. anyone away. Okay. Uh, friend, deep friend of the pod, Trav, still has Concrete Jungle, a Brecht adaptation going on at Loft for the next couple weeks. Travis Gatz, by the way. Yes, Travis Gatz. And then I also did the strangest dance number I've ever choreographed for the next main stage coming up at Loft called Try Not To Think About It, Alice Childress. 
and I can't believe it came together, but it was one of my favorite theater experiences I've had in a long time. Yay. CJ, yeah. you've been out here being a dancer this whole time, dancer choreography, and I didn't know. I think it's because, I don't know, I'm not even formally trained, but I do a lot of choreography now, yes. Okay, let's find out. I've got, a, I'm actually, uh, I'm, I'm, I'll talk about it more as it comes, but I've actually just cast and choreographed and I'm going to film my own dance video next month. I'm but, making yeah. it happen. I haven't done anything like that in almost 10 years. So the auditions excited. on TikTok and it'll blow up. You know what I'm saying? But I'm sure the Cold War kids will take it down because I'm using their music. <laughs> <laughs> uh, cool. Well, thanks, y'all. I don't have anything. Uh, Anne is closing in a couple weeks at the Pasadena Playhouse. If you can get out and see it, go see, see it. Um, it's Diane... selling the hell out, too, isn't it? Yeah. Diane Keaton came the other night. Zachary Quinto. Uh, if it's good Angela enough for Bassett. Diane Keaton, good enough for Angie Bassett. Well, Angie Angie Bassett is like Angie I've been Bassett. on like I've been on Zoom calls with Angela Bassett. Like she's she's a big part of the Playhouse. She did uh, she did fences <laughs> with Lawrence with Larry Larry Fishburne Larry Fishburne back in the day. Um, nice. What's crazy is this is how we refer to them: Angie, Larry, and yes. Fred Molina. There's no album. Yeah. Like, I mean, Larry used to be listed as, he used to be credited yeah. as Larry Fitzgerald. 100%. Yeah. And that's I'm how like, they introduced know you was Larry. <laughs> okay, Lawrence. Lawrence. Okay, Lawrence. You were Larry in the Spike Lee films. Exactly. <laughs> I was going to say. Back in Spike Lee. Oh, hey, cool Spike Lee connection with Nottage. Nottage actually wrote a lot of the first season, and she also produced it, but wrote a lot of the first season of She's Gotta Have It on Netflix. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Good for her. We'll get into that next time. Her episodes, right? Well, sure. Uh, but I, I, we'll get into her next time because uh, into that project next time because we're gonna step through the entire chronology. Of chronology. Chronology. So that'll be super fun. Uh, next time we're gonna be talking about what? Ruined. 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 Oh, that's gonna be. That's gonna be harrowing. That's gonna be. That's gonna be yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's gonna be fun though. I, I. It's not gonna be fun. It's gonna be heavy and and great and serious and we're gonna respect it very well. But fun to be with you all. Uh. So thank you all for joining us for part one of three of crumbs, from the <laughs> podcast of joy. I think that maybe is better than the potter who is silver cast but <laughs> that was pretty good that was pretty solid <laughs> uh but uh so next week we'll be covering ruined then after that we're going to be covering sweat and then we have a cj's pick what are we covering cj for the and stuff cyrano cyrano the, the new peter cyrano dinklage. to bergerac peter dinklage musical film uh we're 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 pumped to talk about it uh we're gonna watch it this weekend next weekend Next weekend. I'm in. Next weekend. Yeah, in this weekend. We're watching it next weekend. I can't wait. And hey, Casper, thanks for being here. Yes. Oh, me and Meadow and No Name have truly enjoyed ourselves. <laughs> Meadow and No Name, we will also be crediting on the pod. Uh, you better. Yeah. They had great input. Let's be straight up. They uh, everything I know. But thanks. We'll see you next week, too, right? You'll be here the whole time, the whole miniseries. I'm so oh. looking forward to having people to connect with next <laughs> oh. week and the week after. For you. Thanks, friends. It's good to see y'all. Uh, thank it's you. It's been a pleasure having you. Thank you so much for joining us. <sighs>
Oh, do y'all have questions or comments? Man, I'm I'm sorry, I always forget. You're falling apart. <laughs> Job questions or comments? We would love to hear from you. You can email us. You can also reach out to us via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Scott. Well, thank you, CJ. A big shout out to Ryan Thomas Johnson for writing our theme song. Our theme song is better than your theme song. Mm-hmm. It's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also writes all of our stingers and he's all around amazing human being. Also, big shout out to Pamela Quinn for writing our Lynn Nottage centric song, which you are about to hear at the end of this. Uh, she's a frequent guest, a frequent contributor, and one of the best people that I know. And finally, uh, to the great Pulitzer Prize winning playwright Annie Baker for writing every single one of our episodes, and she doesn't even know it. One day, Annie Baker, we're going to buy you a beer. Yeah, we're going to buy you a beer. Hey, subscribe, rate, review. We love you. Skinamarinky-dinky-dink. Skinamarinky-doo. We love you. I took... Sorry, Bailey Singh. (laughs) No, that's the perfect song to end this one. Um, (laughs) Never forget. No disrespect to Nottage. It's just a fact. Never forget. Mouths and butts are the same thing. (laughs) I love you all. Goodbye. Later, everybody. Bye.